I tell you, in my house, I have a, I have uh, you, uh, you guys might not know this, but I have a gin in my house. A good one. This gin, um, an annoying one. <laughs> this gin leaves the lights on in the bathroom. This gin doesn't cap the toothpaste. This gin sometimes <laughs> doesn't doesn't Baba, it's the gin. It doesn't flush the toilets, right? <laughs> and all three of the possible right defendants are swearing to Allah innocence. All three of them. Allah is a gin, Baba. <laughs> so what other what other conclusion do I have except we have a, must have a gin in there? You house, have to right? accept their testimony. Yeah. What other what other conclusion is there? Must have a gin in the house, right? Last week, me and my wife had a disagreement about something. Not, not like a fight, but just we recalled something differently. And I was like standing my ground. I didn't say that. And she's like, yes, you did. And I'm like, I didn't say that at all. And it wasn't like I, I said A and I meant like B. It was like I never even said it, right? <laughs> so, and, you know, to my own credit, I tend to remember, I, I have a pretty good memory and she agrees to that. But in this case, she was sure, 100% sure, which made her all the more animated about it, right? So we're going back and forth and she's like, Why, just be honest. And I'm like, be honest? What am I lying? Of course, I'm being honest. And she goes, just say the truth. <laughs> so, And I'm yeah. trying to interrupt like I am. She's like, just say the truth. Allah is one. Just say the truth. <laughs> like an interrogation. <laughs> when she said Allah is one, I, I just, oh, I lost yes. it. I was just rolling on the floor laughing. And I was like, I guess I maybe said it. Because if, oh, no, if you're standing on Allah is one, then I guess I said it. The truth is the truth. Yeah. So, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Welcome. This is the uh, Phoenix Society podcast, special edition called Docs News. For those of you that are regular listeners, the format might seem a little bit different to you. I'm going to be uh, presenting Dr. Shadi with some uh, news items of the week that are, you know, in some way relevant to the Muslim community or stuff that we talk about. And uh, we're going to take his takes. And I don't, I don't loop him in on any of it. So this is going to be yeah, like I have, a, I have a no fresh clue. take. I have no clue what's going on, uh, what what these news cases are going to be. And I generally don't follow the news, and I generally don't uh, read a lot of different, like, unique sites. And Alex reads a lot more unique sites than me. I actually uh, keep things simple. Well, this is a totally ununique site that I'm going to be presenting. This okay, is off good. of Twitter. Okay. So just to give you the background, there's an actor, this African-American actor named Malik Yoba. Mm-hmm. He was on a show in the 90s called New York Undercover. I don't know if you ever saw it. Probably Never not. Heard. It was like... Uh, I think the best description for it is, was, is a hood show. Okay. So it was like a black detective, a Puerto Rican detective in New York, you know, solving crimes. And, and who put with it like on? A, with like a hip-hop background. Who put it on? Uh, Which Fox. Channel? Fox or the WB or something? It was Fox and it was like, it used to play like at like 10 p.m. Oh, on okay. Fridays or something crazy. Yeah. Or Sunday nights late, something like that. But when I grew up, growing up in Patterson, we loved that show because they had like, rappers would make cameos because it was filmed in New York or like, a whole episode would have like a Mary J. Blige background, mm-hmm. uh, background music. So, anyway, so this guy, this this actor, I haven't really heard. He's done a few movies or whatever. He came out like a week or two ago and said that, <laughs> said that he's attracted to dudes that look like women that dress up like women. Basically, this guy. he said, "Yeah, I like I'm attracted to transgender women." But so it doesn't make me gay. Isn't that like drag queens, or you know, just men who claim they're women? Okay. So, <laughs> but he said it doesn't make him gay. Okay. So. You know, it stirred up a lot of controversy. They brought him on a New York radio show, like the morning, one of those morning radio shows. Yeah. And so he was on that show with, a, with like a handful of transgender activists. Okay. Arguing and, with him. 
No, they're not arguing with him. Like he he's supporting their their position. Oh, okay. Right. So he's out there as like the look. He's a Hollywood fake celebrity, like a D-list celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna back this guy because he's backing us. He's the only one that's coming out and saying not just I support gay rights and I support trans rights. He's like saying he's attracted to us. So wow. this is amazing. And then this is what happened. Oh yeah, no, nah, we're not ready to go. But there. I want to say this: for a lot, a lot of women have been hitting me up saying, "Meek, so if you like." Uh, 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 trans women, or you're attracted to trans women, does that make you? They're, they're men, right? They love to say, but they're men. Wrong. So, Wrong. someone said to me, if that is true, so for all of you cisgender women, naturally born women who think that trans women. Assign, not naturally born, again. Not naturally born. Nothing about it is natural. I told you I make mistakes. Nothing about that is natural. Okay, so what I'm saying is. For you, women, what's the language? Assigned Sign. female at birth. Okay, so for women who are assigned female at birth and stick to that, and for whom that is consistent with how they identify, and who for whom that's that's a lot of words. Who stick with it? Okay, you, you you are in a commitment for a stance. Yes, do the work. Yes, do the work. Come on, teach me. Say it again. Do the work. Do it again. For whom? For whom? So wow, it doesn't you have pay. To say a sentence. You have to say a sentence, and it's not like. It's not politely, oh, that's not how we, that's not the term we use. Yeah. It was like, no, that's not yeah. it. <laughs> so they, like, they've sunk that stuff into basically every, now it's in hip hop. Now it's in hip hop. Now wow. they're, I mean, D-list again, but yeah. eventually, you know, eventually. So the, the, the thing that that mostly brought up to me is how the arrogance, yeah. because this guy is thinking that he's an ally to them. He's trying to be like, friendly to them and yeah. even being like i think you guys are real women and <laughs> this, no matter what your biology is yeah. right no matter what your genitalia is i feel like you're women and i find you attractive and that's not good enough that wasn't enough. because it's never good enough yeah it's never going to be good enough until you actually become one of them or something yeah. like you have to have all the phrases down mm -hmm. and of course that's the phrases today three Who years from now three years from now if you say assign that birth and um whatever the rest of the sentence was yeah. that's not going to be good and you'll be like that's so passe and we don't do that anymore so it's a no-win with these people. Yeah, it's a no-win, and they're going to constantly splinter. It's going to be constant splintering. So that is like a firak. <laughs> yeah, firak. It's going to be just constant division, division, division. Because you get uh, assigned at birth, and it's consistent to your preference. No. Right? And your experience is consistent? Yeah. I, I don't know. I couldn't memorize it. Instead of, I can't memorize it. Yeah, instead well, of naturally your, your born. Your biology as is consistent with, your, with what you were assigned at birth. Come close. Oh, sorry. Your biology is uh, consistent with with what you were assigned to birth. I think is yeah. What that's were basically the idea. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. I mean, your biology is consistent with what your biology was at birth. <laughs> <laughs> and th even that first phrase, the idea that a doctor is assigning your gender. Yeah. Yeah. Based on biological yeah, realities. What he sees. Yeah. You know, setting aside the small percentage of people that are intersex, that yeah. you know, what used to be termed hermaphrodites. People are born men or women, mm -hmm. and that's all there is to it. Like there's no there's no there's no question about that. The fact that we even have to have this debate tells us a lot about uh, where what the state that we're in. Well, the thing is, I was I was saying this uh, right before we started the podcast. Um, prior to this becoming a popular thing, the percentage of people who identified as something other than the gender they were born in was zero point zero zero three percent. Wow. So minuscule, non-existent. There's more people probably that think that they're foxes, <laughs> right? But recently, the numbers have jumped. I th this is the best example of something that's it's, uh, mainly found online, right? right? And it's mainly, a lot of it is words. Yeah. Now, someone comes and says, um, 
whatever one of these things are, uh, pansexual, transsexual, whatever. Just give me a word, right? All right. What do you want me to do about that? All right. Okay. That's your, so you do that behavior. It's a behavior. It's not a thing. It's a behavior. Right. Sex is a behavior. This is one of the biggest points, talking points. Sex is an act. It's a behavior, right? So, all right. So you're telling me that this is how you behave in a private setting. And what do you want me to do exactly? Nothing. So it's words. You just it's, it's a way to bother certain people. Maybe someone's trying to get back at their uh, Christian parent or Muslim parent. They know that this is what's going to bother them. If it was the 60s, he'd say, I'm a communist. Right? right. right. If it was the 70s, he would have said, I'm like uh, uh, one, of, one of the other groups that pre- preceded the hippies. Right. You know, some of one of these uh, groups. Like that, the beatniks. Yeah, the beatniks. Yeah. He would say, I'm, a, I'm one of those. And then it's on and on and on and on. Right. So. So it's interesting that you said the beatniks and that yeah. you brought up that era because Allen Ginsberg, who was one of the famous beat poets. Yeah. Um, I just read something the other day from Camille Paglia, uh-huh. who's 60s radical feminist, who now identifies as transgender, by the way. Like oh, a, I never knew. Now in her like 70s. It's she's like a, a dude. I mean, she still looks like a woman. She doesn't change her appearance or anything, but she's like, I feel like I'm transgender. She feels like. OK. And what did you want us to do? Well, besides that. So this was written. I, I'm, I'm not sure when she wrote it, but it was in support of non it was in support of fondling children like as long as it's not like penetrative or you know a larger adult with a smaller child yeah saying what's the big deal they're just getting they're getting an experience they're probably enjoying it there's nothing there's nothing harmful about it so like you're sitting with your kid and instead of having either your hand on their head rubbing their head she sees the head as no different than the private parts. Well, even even worse. So she cites Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> and she goes, what's wrong with, say, Allen Ginsberg yeah. sitting down with, uh, I don't know, an eight-year-old boy and fondling him? Not, his, not even anybody he knows, just a, a regular kid fondling his, his genitalia. He'll enjoy it. The kid will probably get some pleasure out of it. There's nothing really bad for it. This is w- and she goes, this is where we need to move this conversation so that people aren't so uptight about these things. So this is where we're at now. This is where we're at. Because she's cutting edge, right? Yeah. yeah, and Camille Paglia's. Although some of the, some of the some of the more radical feminists don't like her, she's not radical yeah. enough. You know, so it's like everybody. But to, the point is that anyone vulnerable is now being accosted. I guess you could say. Right. Then they should await aqab from Allah Taala, and that aqab can be won't be from some other source that's connected to it. It's aqab is always from another source, right. like poverty, like uh, a great recession or a depression, and these these things affect everyone. When you have a movement like this, if it grows and it continues, and nobody does anything about it, then the punishment affects everyone. Right, because the standard, and this is one of the reasons that I, br- that I brought this clip up, not because it's necessarily entertaining, but because one of the things that this is moving from is it's moving from, hey, listen, if it's, I'm not hurting anybody, mm-hmm. everything is consensual, and as long as, you, as long as we're all adults and nobody gets hurt, everything is fine. But it's aggressive, as you can tell from that clip. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an aggressiveness to it, even with their own so-called allies. Mm-hmm. And there's a, I don't know if it's from years of pent-up rage or if it's from, you know, taking the wrong hormones for your body or something. But there's like a real deep-seated anger. And there's con- tied into it the fact that the majority, the majority of people who identify as one of these, th- whether it's homosexual or transgender, et cetera, have experienced abuse as children so they were traumatized and it's not even denied it they used to be like no 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 that's not true at all we we're just born this way and uh 
lately I've seen more of their activists saying, yeah, of course we're abused more as children because we're vulnerable, because people can tell that we're gay, and so of course we'll become targets, which doesn't really make sense, but whatever, right? Because children are children and they're vulnerable. They're they vulnerable. Don't have and pedophiles don't choose children based on a perceived uh, sexual orientation of the child. And children, since when do children have a sexual orientation? And they don't even know what sex is. Well, according to them, uh, they f- know they're, five and they're six? oriented at like birth. Really? And by two or three, they remember. You don't remember anything from two yeah. or three, but they remember <laughs> what their preference was. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so these are also people that have experienced trauma and abuse. And people who were abused, sometimes they turn into, you know, abusers of the same sort, child molesters. Sometimes they try to process that trauma by uh, recreating the traumatic event in a way in which they have power. So that explains why sometimes women who, who were abused as little girls turn to stripping and pornography and prostitution. There's even studies that show that adult women that are sexually assaulted, some of them respond by becoming very like insular and mm. s- they seclude themselves and others become sexually promiscuous, mm. right? Again, it's a way of t- taking control of something where you felt like you had no control and it was traumatic. This is all subconscious. Obviously, they're not thinking, well, you know, I'm going to feel better if I do this. Yeah. These things are all deep-seated and we don't really, the yeah. people that are suffering it don't really have access, but as outsiders, we can observe it. So I think that there is a, all of that to say, I think there's a tremendous danger coming along and this is not some old canard about all oh, gay people will abuse your children. There's going to be increases in abuse, especially as this stuff becomes normalized and as you start you know, chastising people for even even thinking that maybe I shouldn't have drag queens who have sometimes convictions for pedophilia reading to my children in, mm-hmm. the, in the library, yeah. having drag queen, you know, library hour or whatever it was yeah. called, story time. And when did Camilla say this stuff? I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get the, the, the date on the citation, but it was, it was, I saw the, the text. So this is something that's, because she's like, a lot of people look up to her. Sure. Right? So if she's going this route, and she has a lot of sway, all her... Her books are out there. Her videos are out there. Well, I think it's another thing that's rarely talked about is a fact in in the gay community. Older men and younger boys is accepted, mm-hmm. not not like eight year old, nine year old, ten year old, but like sixteen things that would be considered you know illegal in statutory mm-hmm. uh, statutory rape in most states. It's just common practice. It's like you are a teenage, a gay teenager, you date an older man, yeah. twenty five, thirty five, forty five. There's even a term, um, which is really gross, uh, that they use um, that was very common in the 80s and 90s in the gay community. It's called call them a piece of chicken. Really? Like, I saw you with that piece of chicken the other day. Never heard that before. Yeah, and that's how they refer to, like, a young boy. Okay. Younger than a twink, which is, like, an adult that looks like a teenager. And these people are expected to do their time before they could do the opposite? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. You need an older man to introduce you to the community and wow. help you out. And sometimes, you know, buy you some stuff. And yeah. You know, the term rent boy also exists, which Was is like it? rent boy. Rent. Yeah, rent. Okay. Which is like a young guy who goes out with older men who give him money. Wow. Kind of like a kept woman, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same like concept. Like a mistress. I mean, in talk about normalizing, there was a Broadway play about this called Rent. Oh, that's what it's about? Wow. Yeah. I never, knew, that. I never <laughs> knew this. Rent was about a couple of rents. I've never seen the ads for it. That's where the name for the play wow. comes from because some of the characters were, uh, w- that's that was their lifestyle. That's ins- now, you had mentioned beatniks. Maybe some of the audience don't know, especially the European ones. So beatniks were, uh, were a movement. So you get like Jack Kerouac, uh-huh. who's like the literary head of it. You have some poem, some poets. Ginsburg is probably the most famous of them. So it's a literary movement. Yeah. But political too. 
political. Obviously, they're communists. Yeah, they're social. So they're the first communists. people who are like openly communists, like in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah that you know they were counterculture. Yeah, openly communists. Oh, and openly counterculture, like started yeah. experimenting with drugs, experimenting mm-hmm. with sexuality, the precursors to the to the hippie revolution of the 60s. And a lot of them left the country completely. To yeah, live sure. Abroad. Yeah, yeah lived go, in Morocco, lived in South America. Doing right? God knows what to whom. Yeah, yeah. Live in countries basically that are almost you can be lawless in fact uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's correct i mean nowadays people stick around right yeah and they 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 have like they're like dentists and yeah. they just travel to thailand to do yeah. their stuff yeah but these guys were like artists so they just moved yeah and they didn't have money and they needed to be in cheap countries right that didn't have laws exactly and if they had laws they didn't apply it to people with american citizenship that's it yeah. that's exactly right all right so what so, do we have next well Transitioning from that, uh, another one of the reasons why this topic was uh, was a good starter is that Muslims, and it can't be said enough, Muslims need to stop acting like this is just another oppressed group mm-hmm. that we need to ally with in order to be protected from evil white supremacy yeah. or the evil U.S. government or whatever it is that they're afraid of other than Allah. Yeah. Like, and and I'm gonna I was I was bringing this up the other day, thinking that about alliances is that. A Muslim, who his, our theology, our belief is who gives us success? It's Allah, right? right? Allah gives you success. That's the first origin of your success. Now, he may use asbab and causes, right? He may move other human beings that you never imagined uh, to come and, and give you success and other causes. We also have to take asbab. However, the verse in Allah, or the hadith, in Allah tayyibun la illa tayyiba, right? That Allah is pure, and wholesome and he does not accept except that which is pure and wholesome right this is a break and a difference from between us and the other other groups and and religions that the ends justify the means right there are other groups and religions that they will make a buck in a way in selling something prohibited in their religion right it's prohibited for them but they'll make money selling it to to, to non People outside their religion. You're talking about the redacted community. The redacted community. Yeah. <laughs> Shall not be named. By the way, I borrowed that from these from this guy named Hotep Jesus. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you refer to the redacted. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, uh, were you there Friday when I did the Ashura program? I was not there. So I said I uh, skipped that every year now since that one time. Oh no, they 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 didn't show up this time. Okay, I'm good. Yeah. When and it wasn't even mostly about Ashura. It was more about resilience and courage. Right. So I said that. You have to, we have to, we as a community have to develop. You don't need superstars. You don't need super achievers. You don't need heroes. You need a mass number of people around the world who have a lot of pride in what they have. Mm-hmm. Okay. And will not bend in, in, for, for the obligatory and prohibited matters. We don't need to like go to an extreme. Of course. We'll bend to those things. And that will f- face any harm or confrontation that they need to for their, for that sake. Right. And I said, there are people. And that's what gets you results in this world. That's how Allah created. And I said, look at some of these people out there. What's the strongest lobby out there, right? And someone said, the LGBT. All right, next person. Then it was like, they're all whispering, right? They're redacted. Yes. <laughs> and I said, you see how strong they are? You can't even say their names. Yeah. You won't even say their names, right? That's how strong they are, right? So the Israel lobby, okay, they are so... And how did we get to this? What were we saying? Oh, alliances and stuff. Mm-hmm. So... I, I don't know what's, if it's their religion or their theology. It's very well known. They do things that would be, got to be prohibited in their law. Mm-hmm. They must be prohibited in their law. They allow others, though. But they allow others to do it. They sell to them those things. And they do those things for their own cause. For example, 
um, getting politicians in vulnerable situations and then having them, mm-hmm. you know, recorded or whatever, and then having it blackmail. Like it's got to be against Jewish law to blackmail people. But no, if you have a law for yourself and a law for others, that's a problem, right? So if it's permissible to sell uh, poison to Gentiles, drugs, mm-hmm. to blackmail Gentiles, all for the cause of the chosen people, this is a problem. For us, this is a problem. I don't know if that's their law. I can't imagine that's their law, right? I mean, it is, we. It is their law. So it is have, permissible. For it, I mean, I'm not sure about those particular. I'm not sure about those particular things. But in the case of Ribba, for instance, um, it's prohibited for a Jew to lend money at interest to another Jew, um, but they can lend to uh, to a Gentile. So I mean, if so, if if by analogy yeah, that's exactly allowed, by analogy. then then we're, this is where we're going to have a problem, and this is where we're actually not going to go that route. Right. Anything that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not going to use it as a cause, as a means, a sabab, and we're not going to use them as allies. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up, Sheikh, yeah. because we, there are fatwas in our past mm-hmm. that were exactly this. Yeah. Fatwas to, you can charge riba to non-Muslims in Dalur Harb. To enemies? To enemies. To enemies. To enemies. Okay, well, so I that's mean, when all non-Muslims, when all non-people, when all non, non-co-religionists, not non-Muslims, but for other religions, all non-co-religionists are your enemy. Yeah. Or so then you have a default. The default back in the day was if you did not have an alliance, an express alliance, you were an enemy. You were right. enemies, right? So that means I'm a merchant, and therefore to weaken the enemy, I'll do riba with them, right? right? But they're at least in our faith, they're, they're, we're here assigning them as enemies right we're not saying we're friends right and we're going to do this to you right there's, there's also fatawa in the later period during yeah. the mongols that permitted selling them alcohol really again to weaken them oh to weaken them yeah, yeah because that's your enemy they you. yeah. they're better off being drunk than sober it's right? a, it's a, it's a slippery it's a it's a dangerous line to walk though i don't really like it i don't really know which where it's going to go yeah i mean right. i'm not i'm not saying that it's not a legitimate fatwa in that time and yeah. that the people that issued it were wrong but it is, a, it is a very dangerous line to walk, and you could easily end up on the other side of it. Yeah, and think of the uh, historical. Historically speaking, one of the greatest things that Muslim had is the way they treated others, even the enemy, right, did not come back to haunt them. Right. So the Prophet ﷺ actually made his defeated and conquered Meccans indebted to him by the amount of gifts that he gave them. And the, the war, the battle after the conquest of Mecca to... Hudaybiyah, uh, not Hudaybiyah, um, to Ta'if, when they fought that battle in Ta'if, right. all of the, the the spoils of war went to the Meccans. Right. So to remove any rage of defeat, the rage and hate of defeat. So we can't do this, and we can't ally with the with groups uh, that that are well, expressly in disobedience. So, and I think that this is that what we're seeing today that we complain about with the uh, with the younger generation and their softness on certain things that are known in the deen to be haram mm-hmm. comes from an earlier generation their parents generation in mm-hmm. fact or even maybe even their their younger grandparents generation when the muslims started looking to things like marxism mm-hmm. uh, as an expedient means of attaining political uh, liberation mm-hmm. in their countries right so you know your great great grandparents rebelled against the ottomans mm-hmm. you thought you were getting your own gig you got you got duped. Mm-hmm. And now, after a few years, you go, this is colonialism. Mm-hmm. What the? Yeah. Who's going to liberate us? The Marxists. <laughs> <laughs> and Communism I, will, bring, will bring about yeah. our freedom. Uh-huh. And I mean, like the early... So the first people to hijack a plane 
in 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 the Middle Eastern liberation context uh-huh. was the was the Palestinian Liberation Front, mm. the People's Liberation Front of Palestine, whatever the PAFL. Is that you're talking about literally hijacking a plane? Literally hijacking a plane. That's Scotland's. No, this is long before that. Okay. This is that was this is, that was Libya. Sorry. Yeah, this is long TWA. before that. Mm. What's that? TWA. Yeah, I think TWA. They were a communist atheist group led mm. by atheist former Palestinian Christian. Wow. Grew up Christian, Georgia's something. Yeah. Um, but really, just a, a, an atheist movement. Yeah. Like, come on, are you are you kidding me? Yeah, we went from from being colonized to next thing. Mentally, we're t- they were already colonized, and the socialists they, they all became Arab socialists. Right. And then from them, there was the activist crowd back then. Right. We're talking fifties. Yeah. But the activist crowd back then, they were a little bit better. Like, there's there's still way more way more literacy. So. When he became, like, they became Islamic, but they still were educated on the Marxist framework of things, that there's haves and have-nots, and we have to fight them. Then they just replaced that with, you know, believers and kuffar, and we have to fight them. Right. And then once they right, went that's, down that's, that... Yeah, that's the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. No offense, but... Yeah, I, I, some I read of their, milestones. Yeah, <laughs> some of their early thinkers, you literally can see right there that the roots of this is actually rooted... In the same Marxist uh, paradigm, right? There's no question. 100%. And, and this is no denying that. Now, maybe, okay, he tried to Islamize a little bit. And, okay, he had great intentions. That's fine. But, therefore, the, uh, the, the com- thereafter, the common folk, thereafter, after him, they never even realized that, right? Right. But they took on the same mentality. Now, there's some truth to it, and there's some not. Like, the I, idea Like of, anything. Yeah, like, the idea that there's oppressors and we have to be against them is there. We have that. That's how you but define it's, oppression. It's how you define oppression. And it's, I would actually even say justice is a servant of other things. It's not the other way around. Like, we do ibadah. It's, it, we, justice serves the ability to worship Allah freely and enjoy the sweetness of that life. Right. Not, that, not the other way around. Let's do ibadah so we can strengthen ourselves to go and fight. So we right? can have. So we can eventually succeed and have our underground newspaper. Exactly. <laughs> and what's the proof? The proof is that the Prophet ﷺ said, "What is the greatest of ibadah?" And he said, "The remembrance of Allah." Right. In another one, he said, "The pinnacle is jihad." Now, so the scholar said, "How do we bring these two together?" He said that uh, the jihad is to protect dhikrullah. Why? Because what's the end result? Let's say you conquered all your enemies. What you need an end result. What do you do after you've conquered? You go back home and you establish a dhikrullah because there's nothing else to establish. You establish sharia, you establish the borders, you established everything. Now what? Establish the remembrance of Allah in your heart, right? So therefore we say justice serves to protect the garden of the heart. You know, this gives another meaning to the hadith. What shall I tell you something that's greater than meeting your enemy mm-hmm. in the battlefield? You strike his neck and he strikes yours. Yes, so exactly that hadith is also used to show that uh, dhikrullah and the, the sweetness of life which is a great blessing because when you do dhikrullah when you do dhikr you're, you're, you're having sweetness in your heart and in your life right the goodness of life too and when you establish the sharia you have goodness in your physical elements as well and jihad and fighting and justice and commanding right for right and wrong that is the gates around the city and if you have something valuable you have a really sturdy gate around the city and you have armed soldiers around the city to protect something really valuable so if we have if we want to talk about armed you know uh you know that type of toughness but we have no sense of the beauty on the inside it's not much of a motivation right 
So I bring up this this idea of these these movements, right? Because yeah. something else happened uh, this week, which really I, just, I I shouldn't be surprised or astounded by it, but I found it surprising or astounding. Let me preface it by saying that once upon a time, I went. Sheikh Hamza was giving a, a lecture up in Connecticut somewhere, maybe even at Yale, mm. and it was packed as it always used to be. And uh, I weaseled my way all the way up to the front of the auditorium, but it's an auditorium, and the seats were obviously taken, so I was laying down mm. on the floor near the center. Yeah. Because it's the only room that there was. And Sheikh Hamza was giving his talk and he looked down and he looked at me and I saw him give a look like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't thought of it at the moment because I was just trying to fit in. But yeah. I was like, yeah, this is so inappropriate. Like this is someone who's talking about Dean. He's transmitting something that he got from teachers yeah. in a continuous lineage all the way back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I'm, la- I'm lounging back like I'm watching TV. Yeah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> so I, sat, I sat up straight and yeah. we got a chance to talk to him. A couple of years later, someone I knew was going to like a Dean Intensive or something. Yeah. So I sent the note along. Oh, so this is old school. It's old school. Okay. This is like 15, more wow, than 15 years ago. subhanAllah. So yeah. I sent the note along just saying, you know, I was at a talk. I was, my, I, I had, you know, I was, the, my adab was poor and I apologize. Yeah. Um, and I hope that, it, you know, you'll forgive it. And he actually said, no, 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 tell me, there's no, I don't even, I would never remember something like that. And those things are forgiven immediately, automatically, even if they cause offense. Wow. Right? And similarly, uh, there was an incident once back in the blogging days where there was some beef with some 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 like you know I don't even know what their what their ideology some Muslims though some yeah. like Muslim students from overseas and I'm going back and forth and it was just personal at that point it had nothing to do with Dean like I was like I told one of because I was a much bigger jahil back then Jamal than I am now <laughs> even. so I told one of them I was like if you ever come to New Jersey I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some boxing so lessons <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't kidding <laughs> so uh, so. A f- do you remember the Maliki Fig group that used to exist? No, it was like a Yahoo group. Yeah, yeah. Like Maliki students mostly. Yeah. So one of the brothers from there was like, "Listen, why not? They're like, just you can easily refute this, the claims they're making by saying." I was like, "Look, he, I'll make you an admin on the blog. Yeah. And just go ahead and, and and have at it. Yeah. So he did, and when he did that, one of the guys, like, reached out to Sheikh Faraz Rabbani, yeah. right? And was like, is this the people that, these are the kind of people you associate with students? And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> First of all, I took like two online classes with Sheikh Faraz. He yeah. doesn't know me at all. Yeah. He's not responsible for the stupidity that yeah. I do. Like, why are you dragging him into this? This is so <laughs> ridiculous. I was really like, I was like super embarrassed. Yeah. So I showed Sheikh Faraz just a few months later. I was in Toronto. And the first thing I did was I said, Salaam alaikum. And then I said, listen, I'm really sorry that you got dragged into that. I really apologize. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. And his response was, Brotherhood is unconditional. There's no need to ever apologize yeah. to me. This weekend, somebody published a piece about uh, going to a talk of Sheikh Hamza's mm. not that long ago. And um, his response was curt, maybe even rude, and certainly dismissive. Okay. And the issue was that he was giving a talk about resistance from the Quran and Sunnah. And it was a, a talk that he gave with uh, Chris Hedges. Okay. I think the title of it was When Might Makes Right. He's making a point about oppression and rising up and being resistant and doing it within an Islamic framework. And uh, the person that, r- that ended up writing this article five years later didn't like what he had, t- what he had to say. It's like, how are you not? Franz Fanon said this. Literally, I'm, not, I'm quoting. I'm citing directly. Franz Fanon yeah. wrote in white mass black faces, blah, 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 and wrote this. And, and so sh- the person got up there to give it give t- and starts with this. She said that they had notes, like several paragraphs of notes about to ask the question. 
and starts off, gets like a few sentences in, and Shahamza cuts him off and goes, I read, I know, I know what you've read, I've read the same books. Yeah. He goes, and let me tell you, and he goes, a whole, and then he stops and he goes, but you didn't get to finish your question, go ahead and finish. Uh. And then the person finishes and then he goes, it's not acceptable at all. Any violence that you, anytime you get the, the, just the, the masses to commit violence, he goes, this is what motivates groups like ISIS, is jahiliya, violence, thinking that they have righteous anger. And so this person was totally offended. Yeah. Completely offended. And ends up writing an article about it five years later because the thing that happened with the videotape about Syria. Yeah. So they seized this opportunity to publish an article. And all of that is fine. You want to complain about Sheikh Hamza was rude to you? I'm sure Sheikh Hamza has been rude to other people. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's more polite than, most of, than, than a lot of senior ulama would be in that scenario. Sure. Where some like, young person who's not even a student of knowledge, definitely yeah. not a student of theirs, is challenging their, their take on something mm-hmm. in public. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> just... Do you imagine a hundred years ago, there's a sheikh yeah. giving a public address. He gives the, the people an opportunity to ask questions related to the topic. And you go, you're wrong about this. And you didn't cite that. Yeah. They'd eat you alive. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Could you imagine asking Sheikh Yaqubi that? Yeah. Oh, man. So, but so they, they were, and that's fine. If you want to complain about it, you're right. You feel like your rights were violated. It's fine. Okay. Are probably if you, if you approach them with it, he might apologize. Yeah. Because he's a nice guy. Yeah. Despite sometimes being testy, he's a nice guy. Instead, you write this and you title it The Specter of the Sheikh. Wow. So this is like, like a, a snapshot of his whole life. N- the specter, meaning the ghost of. Mm. Like you just dis- you defrocked him. You yeah. disrobed him. He's no longer a Sheikh. Wow. This is a, a specter of a Sheikh. Somebody uh. who may have been a Sheikh, but he's a ghost of it so now. Wow. Who? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it all comes because. The, the whole thing, it's not really his response. It's the fact that he wasn't towing the Marxist, mm. Leninist, Maoist, Guevarist line yeah. that you really believe is the only solution for the meaning. So, I mean, the, the uh, Marx and, and, uh, and his ideas seem to be the only sense, only set of ideas that anyone who wants, loves justice has in the secular world, right? Like there's no other framework. It's if you love justice or you're oppressed or you're into this, then it's Marxism or bust. There's no other paradigm. It's a great analysis. Yeah. His didactic materialism is really uh, advanced as an academic endeavor. Yeah. It's really advanced. It, uh, he makes really sharp arguments. And if you at all feel oppressed, and by the way, today feeling oppressed means you're a college student at an Ivy League school with rich parents. Yeah. But there's still a, a, a means of you feeling opp- yeah. If you, you can say the oppressors are evil. Yeah. We're by default good. Mm-hmm. Like it's black and white. We're oppressed. We're good. You have power. You're evil. Yeah. And if we can make everything into um, into power, and it's all about the material world, then mm. we win. You guys are evil. We're on the side of good. It's a cartoon. It's a comic book. Yeah. There's good guys and bad guys. Yeah. Um. So and and it's also malleable. So you can take it and you can apply it to this, and you can apply it to that, and you can apply it to the other situation, and you can twist it around, and you can always find the way to make it about you. Marx was actually more material about oppression, of whereas course. now it's about it, the analogy has been taken to every single thing. I mean, you know, we, we could we could be a, you could be an oppressor just because of your, you know, having some education and someone not having education, some having some intelligence now being skinny and not being skinny. Right. Sure. So everything becomes a form of haves and have nots being, uh, hold on, what's the term? I'll, I'll, it'll come to me, but it's, there's two things that they have. Number one, the enemy is oftentimes vague. 
mm. right? It's not necessarily a specific person now. It's a class of people. That's number one. It's the first problem that we would reject off the bat. Second issue is uh, when their, their attempts to overthrow these things is by sort of chaotic mass, right? Arouse, arise, arousing a chaotic mass. And then you have no clue what's going to happen and who's have, who has the liability for that. Right. So that's the second thing that we would have to reject right off the bat. And anytime there's there's any type of conflict, uh, one of our things is that there has to be liability has to be taken into consideration. And therefore, anytime that there's going to be some phys- even a physical conflict, there needs to be some kind of bar- border around the group initiating it. Sure. And there needs to be some kind of rules of decorum so that there is or some decorum or some kind of rules of engagement, I should say, uh, where there's going to be uh, like responsibility and liability and a chief and, a, and an emir and all that type of thing so that you don't have chaos. And I mean, the thing is, the thing that I really would tell people who embrace these ideologies is. And I don't know, maybe this will drive a further wedge between them and the ulama. But like, look in the history of Islam and find me real ulama, people who are trained in these disciplines. And these disciplines are much more academic than any other discipline mm-hmm. that you can find. Like somebody who is a real scholar of Islam, they've studied logic, they've studied language, they've studied rhetoric. Yeah. On top of knowing and Im- embodying the religion, right? In all the religious sciences. Yeah. These people don't embrace these ideologies. Mm-hmm. You get like Islamic speakers that do. Yeah. You get like guys that are religious and have a following that go down this road, but you don't get Islamic scholars ever, ever. doing no, it. No, it's never going to happen. So you, that alone should be a sign to you that this is not the way forward. And this idea that there's going to be some kind of revolution of activists over sheikhs and scholars and imams, right? This idea is, is going to gain traction in their minds only right and in the minds of the few people that they influence because as soon as those even if those people are semi-susceptible to it if there are people that are semi-susceptible as soon as he gets married right and he's got a muslim wife and he's got a muslim family right how's he going to get married right he's going to recourse back he does not there, there is a process to get married which is actually what religion gives you processes when you get married there's a process there are conditions to be fulfilled. You don't know them. You can learn them. Good for you. But even when you learn them, where are you learning them from? You're not going to open the Quran and figure that out. You're going to open up books of law, right? right? When you have, uh, when you want to buy a house, okay, if you're going to see if there's interest involved, how are you going to learn that? You're going to go to someone. If you need to learn how to pray, if you're learning to learn how to fast, if you're going to make hajj, there's going to be a hajj leader. So if they're at war with any religious hierarchy, Right, the absolute hierarchy, like what Ismail was talking about. Right, then that's gonna fall flat on his face real Shout quick. Shout out to Ismail Boyd. Yeah, uh, who who gave us a good summary and he, he brought up that discussion. But if they're talking about, well, we just don't want one individual to be followed over everyone else. But that's already something that Muslims have, ulama uh, have talked about. Mm-hmm. Right, that ulama have always said. Every individual can have a zella, like have a mistake, mm-hmm. right? Every item can have a mistake. We like that's something that can happen internally. We don't need a Marxist thing to come to say that we. Ulama have been saying this forever too, even about awliya. A person can be a wali. Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jailani was asked, "Awayazni wali? Can a wali commit zina?" Right? He didn't say yes or no, but he said, "Wa kana amrullah qadr maqdura." Right? If the amr of Allah, the qadr of Allah. 
uh, willed that it's going to happen, then it could happen. A very pious person could make a major sin. And from that, we have rulings that awliya can commit sins, right? And even big ones too. So we don't need to go outside the tradition to, to temper people's reliance upon one individual or otherwise. Right. But this, yeah. this it's, it really seems like there's... And the title of that article says it all. Yeah. Like you're saying that this is... You're just like... You're canceling his sheikhhood. Yeah. Because his politics don't line up. Yeah. And your politics aren't even... Your politics are based on like godless people, honestly. Yeah. Oh, like completely you're not. taking them from 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 an atheistic worldview. Yeah. You can try to add, you can try to sprinkle Dean into it. Yeah. But at, at its core, it comes from someone who doesn't believe there's anything but the material. Yeah. So, nothing that starts baseless is going to then somehow be a, a, a stable structure. Uh, Marx is a philosopher before he's an economist, right? Uh, and his philosophy is pure materialism—that ideas derive from material things first. Yeah. And Context. not to put him on the couch, yeah. right, and psychoanalyze him, but he was he grew up in a Jewish family who then converted to uh, I think Lutheranism. Okay. And then eventually he became an atheist. This is a person that was always seeking yeah. uh, salvation in paradise, first in his Jewish upbringing, then in his Lutheran faith, and then through material yeah. materialism. And, but he comes. The funny thing is that he seems like extremely. His mind is extremely powerful, right? But I find him to actually be very immature not mentally or emotionally but in his his worldly sense well he didn't work yeah i he the, <laughs> that in that respect <laughs> he wrote he wrote but and and it, he has no sense of practicality at all he was an academic he's the yeah. original ivory tower useless academic yeah and uh, and they, whenever they depict him they depict him sitting at a library like almost like a homeless right he looks homeless, right? <laughs> He's a huge beard, a tattered jacket. But as powerful as his mind is, the man is completely unpractical. He doesn't know how the world actually really works, right? Like he could not run a, ba- a, a bread store, a bagel shop for a day. I just remember the term that I was trying to think of and yeah. you brought it up. Listen, maybe he was, you know, don't judge him. Yeah. He may not have been neurotypical. Neurotypical. <laughs> so now we're probably making a, you know, we're offending people yeah. who are aneurotypical. <laughs> so the, 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 one of the things that came off when I'm reading this, uh, his stuff back in college when I was a sophomore, and I had actually a really good professor from Europe, and most of these professors from Northern Europe are hardcore. The whole Rutgers department is all Marxists, or at least it was. I mean, probably even more now, right? Liberal arts. Yeah. yeah. So, but he was a really good professor. Right, I think from Denmark or Sweden or something like that. But he was, uh, we, he had us reading his stuff all day, right? And I'm thinking to myself, his the system of like, sh- of, of his solutions are beyond absurd, right? Beyond absurd, that your the possession of stuff belongs to the collectivity, right? You clearly never owned a business, never you know, had to f- keep something. I mean, imagine if something, just think of yourself on the other side. Like these people are criminals, right? For possessing. This is what he's criminalizing. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. so, and by the way, when I say that Shah Hamza is a nice guy, and if somebody, if an adult 20 years younger than me, yeah, challenged something that was well studied, well thought out, that I learned from my sheikhs and my teachers and that I was synthesizing and presenting to an audience and they came up and they were like, and I'm talking about somebody 20, 25 years younger than me yeah. with half the life experience, uh-huh. half the education, just trying to like, well, you yeah. didn't, and I actually know it, I'll cut you off and say I read that too. Yeah. 
like, and I and I might be more rude about it than Sheikh uh-huh. Hamza probably was. And listen, uh, Sheikh Hamza's um, quick rise to anger and attack is why people love him in the we first loved, place. We right? loved that about yes. Sheikh Hamza back in the days. <laughs> right? It and was I'm, his fire. Yes, I'm thinking, and I would watch those videos, VHS videos and tapes on loop. No video VHS, you didn't on loop. You had to rewind it. Yeah. Right. I probably destroyed the thing from rewinding. But the in the, in the cassette tapes would be on loop. Yeah. And they would switch on automatically. You had a button that would switch it. If you yeah. hit it, it would reverse automatically. Yeah. And that thing would just keep going and going and going. I'm loving it. Yeah. Right. I guess it's just not nice when you're on the other side of it. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to have somebody. Here's the thing. In Islam, elders are treated as extension to parents. Yeah. Right? So, for example, uh, uh, my wife deals with people. And she tells me so-and-so did this. I was like, tell her to, to shut her mouth. And teach her, put her in her place. She's like, yeah, but she's like 30 years older than me. She's like, my aunt, my grandma, right? I can't <laughs> treat her like that, right? Uh, she's 50 years older than me, yeah. right? So, but that's what our community is, right? right? Our community, yeah. everyone in the masjid is an extension to the aunt and uncle. We, do, we aren't these types of, um, and, and remember a couple episodes back, when we talk about Western exports, one of the biggest American exports to the world is rudeness of youth. This is the biggest Western export, right? La bir al-walidain. No, yeah, the opposite of bir al-walidain. So, uquq uh, al-walidain, and, and for, if you do uquq al-walidain, imagine everyone else. So we don't talk like this to elders, right? We do not talk like this to elders. Someone, I was given a talk the other day, and a youth girl was listening, and a woman, older woman, she didn't speak English that well, and she wasn't listening, right? So it was Ramadan, Tarawiyah, everyone's st- sitting there in the rows, Masjid is packed, and... The girl goes, excuse me, ma'am, I'm trying to listen, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then she looks at the girl. She doesn't even bother to even respond, right? Right. So she keeps talking. And then uh, the girl, she snaps and gets upset. She's like, I'm trying to listen, right? And all of a sudden, this Egyptian lady just, you know, wiped the floor with her, right? <laughs> she wiped the floor with her. Now, what's the response? The response from the sisters was, okay, yes, we understand that, but... No, just because you don't know her, she's from a different ethnicity, does not mean we could disrespect them. And this is sometimes it happens. Yeah. Like, I'm Egyptian. If I see an Egyptian uncle, I see my father's heritage in him, I'm going to tolerate so much. But if I see a Daisy uncle, all of a sudden I might not be. That's wrong. Yeah. What is the difference, right? There should be no difference between the elders, whether ethnicity or otherwise. And for us, yani, if, a, if a sheikh snaps at me, What's my reaction? My reaction should be, hold on. What did I do wrong? Yeah. And here's a, my dad snapped at me. More than snapped at me, right? And what do I do? I say, okay. The problem is parents parents don't snap at their kids anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's a problem. (laughs) And I'm not even saying that, okay, uh, we just, we put our head down. No. I was always taught, you can disagree anytime you want with with Adam. No. Right? And and Sheikh, there's, there's ulama whose politics I don't care for. Like, I don't like it at all. And I think it's, uh, I think they're completely, you know what I do? I just don't listen to them on that. Yeah. I might not listen to them on anything. Feel free. But why do you have to, like, you really have to go hard in yeah. like that? Like, come on, man. It's just not, it's just not acceptable. And it's, yeah. I find that absolutely ridiculous. And anyway. Yeah. So that's, so the, uh, one of the last things I wanted to bring up yeah. is uh, America's greatest comedian has struck again. Chappelle? 
Donald J. Trump. Oh, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, this is, yeah. uh, you know, right in your wheelhouse. The other day he was at some conference and yeah. uh, the field marshal uh, was running late. Sisi. He was in Egypt? Uh, or there was, was some meeting some somewhere? Meeting was, yeah. yeah. So he, co- he goes in front of everybody, reporters and everybody. Hey, where's my favorite dictator? <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. That is hilarious. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, he is, I'm telling you, the best, the greatest comedian. And he's taking it. And he's, re- he's revolutionized comedy because he said, I'm not doing this on no silly stage. No. I'm taking it to the real world, the, the highest rank of the real world. And I really think he amuses himself. I'm telling you, he's of bored up there. He's no, so course, bored up there. Of course. And I can't imagine him sitting these with these stuffy people all day. And he just needs to just I mean, get something going. You don't come up with lines like Sleepy Joe and Low Energy Jab. <laughs> like as, yeah. as a, like a serious jab. Yeah. You just think it's hilarious. <laughs> You're like, watch me, watch me take this guy out. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And he's wiping out the next election. How how are the numbers looking? I I don't know, but I mean, who? The the reality is, you need another Obama level candidate. Like, and by Obama level, I don't mean that I approve of him, his policies, or his presidency necessarily, but just that somebody that can motivate people the way that he did. Right? He had that motivation. Like the the people that are, they're a bunch of stiffs. They're so <laughs> like. Like, nobody can get excited about these people. These people have the charisma of a dead fish. I mean, they're running on. We're not Trump. That's it. Yeah, I know you guys hate him, so come vote for us if you hate Donald Trump. What's happening with O'Rourke? How's he doing? Debato. <laughs> he was up for a second. What happened to him? He got a little bit. Of, he got a little bit of shine the other day at the After debate. After the shootout. Yeah, because he said he said you're damn right. We're coming for your AK, your AR-15s, and your yeah. AK-47s. Yeah. Which. All the Democrats were like, "Are you cr- shut <laughs> up? <laughs> it might be our game plan, but shut yeah. it up, buddy." <laughs> So he got a little bit of attention. It's not going to get him any votes, and he's certainly not going. They're certainly not going to implement that policy. My, so. The issue with the Democrats is that their their whole culture is the culture of blame yourself and apologize. Right? Mm. You can never be assertive. But the other thing is they don't blame themselves for the things they do do. Yeah. Right. Like they yeah. don't take accountability. Yeah. It's more like, well, listen, I grew up in, I grew up in a Hispanic and an urban city in new jersey right yeah the least trustworthy person in the world is and it used to be just rich white but now it's rich of any is a rich person that goes it's all my fault buddy and i'm yeah. here to help oh that's the <laughs> run right because they're not there to help yeah anybody who goes i'm so i feel so guilty and i'm yep. gonna make things that guilt yeah used to call it white guilt but now i mean look at the democratic party yeah. it's it's like anybody who's rich guilt yeah it first was not sincere uh-huh and I don't trust it, man. You're going to try to do something crazy. <laughs> At the very least, you're going to patronize me. Yeah. And you're going to be way more, way more racist than even like a KKK person would. Yeah. Because your racism is you can never do better. <laughs> I have to give you a hand up. <laughs> like, that's nonsense, man. And the beauty of it is that in Sharia, when this person has wealth, he should never feel guilt. He should feel responsibility. Right. Big difference. Right. And wealth in Sharia is given to people by two different means. Or not in Sharia, in life. Rizq by Allah Ta'ala is given people with two different in two different paths and sometimes an admixture of both. The first path is probably the superior path. And that is the the, the Rizq, the way it was given to Prophet Dawood He earned every penny of it. Right. That he was in, in hardship for decade after decade after decade of hardship. And he worked his way and, wor- and earned, and I mean, Sayyidina Dawood 
wasn't after Rizq, but I'm saying that it's in the sense that he conquered and his land was filled with wealth as a result of pure hard work and nothing else. Of course, obviously, Tawfiq, he's a prophet of Allah, right? right? But they, this wealth was came as kharaj. Kharaj is the word for uh, land tax or property tax of conquered non-Muslim countries or non-believing countries. So this little land of theirs, which was the promised land, ended up conquering like e what was it? I don't know. But all, e all, the, all the way into, into, into Africa. Yeah, all these things. And they're earning kharaj. So imagine like New Jersey earning land tax, property tax from like half the United States, maybe even the whole United States, right? How wealthy would they become? And how did Prophet David earn that all that from going through harsh years of hardship and then working his way up so that's the first way and everyone loves that right mm -hmm. now what people don't love is the second legitimate way in which Allah Ta'ala gives people risk which is, is inheritance inheritance like Suleiman Prophet Suleiman did Prophet Suleiman witness one day of hardship in his life not not just one day not one hour right. of hardship he grew up and he was born to Prophet Dawood at the end of Prophet Dawood's life where Maybe they, he lived with him for maybe 20, 30 years, right? And at that time, he would worship Allah one day with the worshipers. He would leave his father and mother and go with the worshipers one day. He would spend one day uh, uh, serving his mother. And he would spend one day with his father at court, right, learning. He did not. His hands were like the hands of an executive. He didn't yeah. have wars, right? He directed wars, of course, right? He co continued to collect this land tax. Inherited wealth teaches us another lesson, though. It is the person who possesses wealth without ever having been hardened by hardship, right? Why? Because at that type of person is more willing to share his wealth. So, for example, Prophet Dawood was a man of justice. It was very hard to get him to sympathize with you, right? When the cow came to him, the famous story, the cow came to him and said, Oh, Prophet Dawood, they've... Uh, use me to give birth to cows so that they could eat lean meat of the babies so they keep eating my babies now i'm old and they plan to eat me as as jerky make me as meat beef jerky right so prophet what did prophet Dawood consult the scales of justice he said you're made to be slaughtered allah has created you for slaughtering like i don't see how there's a complaint in this who says this who says this is a person who has faced hardship after hardship and knows you'll survive yeah. Like, like you, you can take it. If I could take it, and Prophet Dawood salam was born at a time when Goliath was bullying the Muslims right. and the whatever tribe, the Malachites, uh, were bu bullying the believers. As Muslims, I mean, yeah, they're Not, all considered Muslim, but they're not believers. Malachites. Amalekites. Oh, <laughs> 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 <Right. laughs> so Goliath is bullying them. Yeah. He manages to be the hero. When some envy crops up between him and Talut, okay, he ends up being banished. Right. And spends 15, 20 years, maybe less, alone. Comes back to a, a battered and shattered Bani Israel. Lifts them up through hard work and, and builds them up and builds the whole thing up. So he's saying to himself, actually, not only can you handle this, this is good for you. Hardship is good for you. Right. Right. And that's how he views the world. Prophet Suleiman cannot view the world like that because his circumstance wasn't like that. How can he apply upon you a scale that he's not even familiar with? And he didn't only just have the material wealth; he had spiritual wealth. He had spiritual wealth and wisdom. I mean, control. Yeah, control over the jinn. Contro oh, that type of wealth, control over the winds, the jinn, the animals. Talk that could he could speak yeah. their language. So he had all of all of that wealth. 
and he did not have the, he did not go to the school of hard knocks right so he cannot apply this upon others right so he gives his wealth freely as he received it freely Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan inherited wealth he was known that he had a kitchen where in his khilafah he built a kitchen where anybody at any time, any hour of the day, can go in and order any food that they want, and he's supplying it from his own money. His oh, own. Wow. So as he receives freely, he gives freely. Right. right? Different type of uh, wealth. So it seems that like wealth is being criminalized. Not seems. It is the right. fact that wealth right. is being criminalized. And that's right? qadr is being criminalized. So qadr is being criminalized, and that's yeah. what it is. And where are you coming from? Yeah, where are you coming from? And it's coming from... Uh, envy, deep envy, and and okay, there's injustice. Yeah, but well, wealth as a concept. And the thing is, once you once you take that and you uh, you you apply like an intersectional type of, even though that's a term that comes from feminism, intersectional type of approach, right? Yeah. You're also going to criminalize someone being born male, mm -hmm. being born able-bodied, yep. being born heterosexual, mm -hmm. being born white, or whatever, or Arab if you're in the Muslim community, right? Like yeah. whoever's on top. Yeah. Stock for Allah that Allah made you that way. Yeah, and, and you, what are you talking about? Yeah, that, so you should be, feel guilty if you're born in, with any in, advantage in an Arabic-speaking household, so that you could pick up the sounds yeah. easily when you can pronounce kha and ain and bad, whereas others are struggling, right? Uh, so you're so I'm supposed to feel guilty. And Allah, re, by the way, that's a perfect example, Sheikh, yeah. because what is the ruling of the person that has trouble? pronouncing the Quran with Allah accounts as it more real more more reward. double the reward yes yeah. yes double the so reward there's justice yeah. but it's not by stealing other people's yeah. Arabic no if you have you have children Sheikh, yeah. you shouldn't teach them Arabic because that gives them an yeah. advantage <laughs> you shouldn't yeah you should they should have to go out there yeah. and and get it get it on their own yeah spend spend like spend the majority of their life in Jahiliya and then maybe have a turn in their 20s where they learn something and start applying it the, in their life the rich <laughs> the rich should actually uh, impoverish their children what they should do is actually they should claim to be the oppressed class because they've never tasted victimhood so I don't know what victimhood is. Therefore, I'm actually at a disadvantage because yeah. I don't know what victimhood is. And I don't have any victim labels to this wear. Is, so this is kind of interesting because, you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they want to give away all of their money. Yeah. Right. And and not give it to the people that Allah would have had him give it to. Yeah. Yeah. And this is exactly right. Yeah. They're, what they're doing is haram. Yeah. People praise them for it. Haram. Yeah. You can give up a, a, a third of it. Yeah. The rest has to go to your family. They have rights. Mm -hmm. And you're like, nope. See, they, these, these <laughs> folks... The, yeah. the, the reason is that uh, there's no sense of responsibility. I mean, I, Gates gives out a ton of money, right? But I mean, he funds programs it, in Allah Island for what purpose? Yeah. It's not only just no, no, no sense of responsibility, but it's also when someone tries to make you feel guilty and you're actually not guilty, you need to stop them, right? That's a type of oppression for us where it's like sob stories. And I've seen it was funny because my dad ran a, a mosque for basically my old childhood, right? From may maybe not childhood, from maybe when I was cognizant, 11 to 12, until just a couple years ago, right? And I used to see women coming in and men coming in with issues, and sometimes they'd be crying, and he's looking at them, right? And he said, the brothers of Yusuf also cried, right? He said, the sob, the, the tears, save it. Because he used to judge between like couples arguing, right? And he'd act as the judge, right? And he said, this, the, the tears save them, right? Because I mean, people cry. So sobs, immediate being felt, made to feel guilty is also a weapon, 
right? Immediately trying to make someone feel guilty. And it's like, you got to resist that weapon. You have to, you got to put up a wall there and say, excuse 100%. me, uh, I'm not falling for this. I'm not guilty of any of this, right? I'm not tolerating any of this nonsense. It's utter nonsense. All right, Sheikh. So last, last thing we're going to do is uh, somebody wrote, t- just because, you know, we've talked about the, the terrible situation that exists in, in, in this country and, is, and in Europe and in spreading to other countries about, you know, these, the normalization of, the normalization and celebration of what people like to do sexually, which should be the most private of things. Nobody should know this except your wife or your yeah. husband, right? Um, and then we also talked about, um, what else did we talk about? We talked about the, uh, the disrespect of ulama, the separation of, you know, the idea that we're going to save ourselves in the absence of religious guidance, mm-hmm. in spite of religious guidance, not through religious guidance. And we were just talking about now about that the, the stuff we were just talking about. Um, to bring it to something more, uh, a, a better finish, we have, uh, I had a question from a brother today mm. on uh, Twitter. He DM'd me and um, I wanted to answer it, but I didn't really know the answer. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up with Dr. Shetty tonight because we're recording. So okay. let's close it out with this. So the, the brother said, Salaamu Alaikum, I wanted to ask you, I have the book, The Revelation. You're familiar with it, Shetty? Yeah. I have Qadiyad's Shifa. And I have the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. By um, who? I'm not sure. Hmm. It's probably the uh, the Martin Ling's book. Okay. He said, "Do I still need to get the Shamal of Imam Tirmidhi, or what? Or is what I have will that already do?" So I sa- I, I answered. I said, "The Shamal is beautiful. I mean, and it is. It's unique. It's, yeah. it's nothing but hadith. I mean, yeah. people have written introductions and epilogues and appendices, but the actual Shamal is just it's sure. like 400 hadith, hadith yeah. describing the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam." So he said the other books don't describe him sufficiently, and I said they do. But I'm recording with Dr. Shadi. I'll ask him to chime in. Well, the Shama al Tirmidhi and Qadi Ayat Shifa and a good Sira book. I didn't read Revelation. I hear this. There might be some. It's more there. about. There's a more. It gives you visuals and dates and locations. I believe. Yeah, it's maybe useful. Maps, right? Yeah. Uh, you you should get the Shema'at. He should get the fourth book, which is Shema'at. He should right. get the Shema'at. Okay. And um, you can even get a Mukhtasar of Shema'at, right? There's yeah. Yeah. For people out there, there's Shema'il At-Tirmidhi. It's the, the 400 Hadith book. There's also, in on Mecca books, there's a 70-page, really short Shema'at, where he literally just takes one or two Hadiths from each chapter. Oh, mashallah. So he re- no, actually, not it's not 70, 30, right? It's called like the... I don't know what it's called. Let me actually hold on. When you pull that up, because yeah. that's good. I'm glad that you said, because if I had continued to, to, to answer him, I would have said, you know, get Dalal and Khairat. And then also get like the uh, the shimmering uh, light maulid. Yeah. And then also, also get yourself uh, <laughs> like a translation of Busaidi's uh, yeah. Burda with maybe a Sharh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> now you... it. Okay. Oh, and get Fikasira Nabawiya from Shahabuti. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you, you have that, right? Yeah. Can you bring it to me? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, is it one volume or two? It's one volume. One big volume. Yeah. The uh, Khulasa, uh, it's called. You the go to MeccaBooks.com, The Khulasa, a summary of Abu Isa at Tirmidhi's Al Shama'il Al Muhammadiyah. And he literally. Oh, I think I have that. You have that? It's yeah. like literally like 30 pages. It's $7. I yeah, mean, it's like a little booklet. It's a booklet. And that's good for anyone to, to read very quickly. The Shema'il, it's, it's got, um, I think, 51 hadiths. That's it. Yeah. 51 hadiths. And the last one is dreaming of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's the beautiful thing about Tirmidhi's book, too. That yeah. He starts out with description of his 
of his appearance, right? Yeah. So, and then it goes on to his manners and his clothing, and his, yeah. And it ends with seeing him in, in your dreams, dream. right? So it's it's a perfect. Uh, yeah. It's like a perfect. Yeah. A tra- uh, uh, it's like a total logical progression of progression. Learning yeah. about first, you learn what he looked like, yeah. then more about him, then even what he ate, what he yeah. or how he dressed, etc. And then it ends with even after, even in your time now, yeah. there's still a connection. People ask all the time, how do you know? How could you know how the prophet looks like? Well, you could describe someone, but if you look at the bulk of Shema'il, what they actually re- do is remove what he doesn't look like. Yeah. So he said his hair was not too curly nor straight. So, you know, it was in between. He was not too tall, not too short. Right. His skin was not white, not black. Right. right? Uh, now, what you said about the Dilal Khairats is very important, too, as uh, if someone has the Arabic language, can read Arabic, the Arabic language, then they should get Dilal Khairats. There's a... Uh they should and there's recitations so if you want to follow along you can there's audio recitations as you're learning yeah because some of it can be complex yeah you can you can listen to the audio recitation and actually one of the projects that i really want to do as soon as the semester launches is record the in a moroccan style it's out there on turkish style yeah yeah. and it's out there in the group moroccan recitation which you you won't really be on you won't understand it yeah now if you listen to the turkish one You'll start and you just hear it over and over and over and over. You'll get, you'll pick up the unique expressions that are there. Ninety percent of the book is the f- expressions you know. Allahumma salli ala wa barik ala, right? There's a decent translation too. Of, Transli- uh, with transliteration? No, it's just translation. Just translation. Yeah. But for people that don't have the Arabic, yeah, it's it's good because even in translation and even as you know, we all know that it's so difficult to translate, especially classical. Arabic poetry it's yeah. almost impossible but you still get a sense for the tremendousness yeah. uh, of, of what, what's in that book yeah so if I if you would cap it off at those five if you needed just someone had just I needed five books and I would actually probably put it at four because I haven't read Revelation it's not one of the classical books but right. of course you could still have it but as for the classical works you would say Jalai Al-Khairat Tirmidhi get Shifa Qadiyyad and then get a really good Sira maybe you want to get Sheikh Al-Bulti even though he's contemporary period but yeah. it's rooted in that in that scholarship get Fiqh Sira by Sheikh Al-Bulti because not only he gives you the Sira as a he doesn't storytell it I don't he think he doesn't at all he doesn't yeah. at all it's a tech, it's a yeah. knowledge book he'll bring up so the battle of Al-Khandaq right yeah he'll just tell you that it happened briefly what it was and then he'll give you all the, f- and then he'll give you all the fic that was derived from that incident. So he's expecting you to know battle. Of right. so, so this is need, a level two. Yeah. So if you book. if you want a sita just for reading the sita, which is important, yeah. and then you should, and you should also get like Hayat al-Sahaba. Hayat al-Sahaba, that should be because you have to know the companions. Yeah, yeah, the first transmitters of the deen. Yeah, right, and and the the love and the it's the role of the companions. It has another element too, is that they're the first transmitters of the religion. So we have to know that first link. And nobody could say prophet, and that's it. How? Well, how did you even get this book? It came through Sahaba, through Tabi'in, through Tabi'in, to the to the authors. What is? What do you think is the best sirah uh, in I'm, English? So Martin Ling's is, is very good. You can skip all of the um, all the stuff about lineages in any in any sirah book. Just yeah. it's you're just gonna buy if you're not a, like a student. Yeah. Like an academic student of that, then you can skip that. Um, and uh, Dr. Uh, Jibril Haddad. And his essay upon it. He wrote, he wrote a, a commentary on the, on the problematic issues in it, right? Yeah. And it's short. It's like seven, ten pages. 
and he just points out each each section where you should look out for something. So that you, you, so you read those two together. Yeah, get, it gets rid of the the uh, the you know the, the errors in the book. What's it's the uh, the well, it's the most of it is what you call. I can't think of the word right now. What is it? The Nasseri stuff. Like the perennialist elements. The, yeah, the perennialist interpolations that yeah, are in there. Yeah. Like you know. Two there's rivers one, flowing. He's destroying. No, well, there's like destroying the the idols. Oh, but there yeah, was like yeah. a thing to to the Virgin, Virgin Mary. Mary. He left it alone. Yeah. What the Come heck? on, man. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> but other than that, it's still good. Yeah. And Martin Ling's made a sincere effort. So. I have to say, I love reading that book. Yeah. I really mean, the language of that book it puts me in a, another zone reading that book. The good thing about that book is you can follow that along with Sheikh Hamza's uh, class. Cedar classes. Cedar yeah. class, which are based on that text. Yeah. And also, and uh, and that's set of tapes is one of the best set of tapes you'll ever get uh, it's on soundcloud it's on soundcloud somebody though? uploaded them to soundcloud oh wow yeah violating the uh everything the copyright <laughs> who cares <laughs> it's allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made knowledge difficult to trap because he wants it for everyone yeah. knowledge is the op is one of those things it's very difficult to trap right to keep people want to spread it and listen hate on shihamza all you want and you know, i disagree with him on a lot of political stuff but man, nobody nobody in English is as good at tra- at transmitting certain things, yeah. and he has a true gift for that stuff. Yeah. And so that if you get a, if you get a Sira class and you can listen to it, yeah. I mean, Chehiasir Qadi has a fantastic Sira series that's like 180 episodes or something. Yeah, and he's still ongoing. I think he's on the Sahaba now. Really, but um, and it's really good. But nobody does what Shehamza does with yeah. it, right? In in brief, 24 classes. Yeah. Um, when you said about lineages, you're talking about the lineages of the different companions and stuff, you remember? Yeah, so like yeah. so-and-so to so-and-so to so-and-so yeah. to so-and-so. Like, it, it, you know. Yeah, it, so the only thing is for, for the Sahaba and those, Malik also said, oh, I find it mostly it's a u- useless knowledge, yeah. but the Prophet Sallallahu oh, lineage yeah. up to 10. From Adnan? Yeah, from Adnan to the Prophet. I think it, it's 10, is it? Might be more. But more, maybe more. But... Uh, Adnan is the is the one that the prophet said go back to him, and after that is speculation. Right. Yeah. So actually, all the mo- very common for Muslim youth to memorize the lineage of the prophet Adnan. Yeah. No, I'm talking about where they give the lineage of like minor Sahaba. Yeah. yeah. No or or the pre-Islamic tribes that yeah. came and conquered. And then Mecca. they explain, you know, who yeah. was related to whom and who. Oh, he in that thing. I mean, he gets so, he's operating at a level like he must have read the work so many times it's off a cup oh he's related to so-and-so and he's yeah, yeah. So-and-so. like the family trees they're yeah. not really necessary and a person should know their own lineage if possible up to seven which is basically a dead thing in the cities people don't know their lineage it's nobody in the west knows their great-grandparents names that's crazy man it's crazy like if you poll them 90 yeah. percent won't know their great-grandparents that's crazy that's actually something someone once said about Knowing your place in the world. Right? I don't know the names of any of my great grandparents. Subhanallah. Not a single one. Subhanallah. And think about this: even if you knew their names, that's a name. Yeah. What you know about nothing their about life? Them. Yeah, you know nothing about them, and you're like five percent or twenty percent of their DNA is in you, right? So the thing is that it, it to humble a person and make himself not realize that he's not really that big of a deal. Think about your grandkids. Yeah, all right, they'll know you. Your great grandkids, you are wiped away. And there's two types of deaths. This was someone had a great quote. The first death is when you die. The second death is the last time your name is ever mentioned or read in a book. Read in a book or uttered by someone's tongue on the earth. Think about that type of death. Because what? how do people want to live? People want to live by etching something in the world that will cause people 
to keep remembering them after life, whereas they don't benefit from that, right? And now we say that yes, scholarship they will benefit if they ben if you're if they're learning, like if you write a good book and people benefit from the book, you get the reward of it. But if you were a great uh, inventor, and we keep saying you did a great job, did a great job, you don't benefit from that. The Muslim will benefit from alayhi rahmatullah. Right. That phrase, the Muslim will benefit from that. And that's why it's actually one of the dua is, may Allah have mercy on all of the Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. Expand it to mm-hmm. everyone, right? So that we don't know their names, but we ask Allah to have mercy upon everyone who died from the Ummah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a reality where you keep receiving sustenance in your grave because people remembered you with a dua. But okay, in the secular world, or in the non-belief, the world of non-belief, the mention of your name gives you nothing. Like, what right. does it actually give you? You're imagining that it's gonna, you're gonna <laughs> enjoy it. You're gone. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Shaykh Muhammad Yaqubi knows his entire lineage. Subhanallah. To the Prophet Allah. Memorize how many names? Twenty-eight. Uh, no, that's no, really short. 33? I think it's like thirty-four. Thirty-three. Yeah, 34. thirty-three, thirty-four. Twenty-eight. Yeah. Really short. I don't. I don't think there's anyone with twenty-eight alive today. Probably not. But yeah. there was people that probably died in the last 10 years. I had that short 28, 29. 29 yeah. yeah, subhanAllah. So we'll close it out. By the way, so if we went, like, we started out with four books. We went up to at least six. And yeah. I personally, as a non-native uh, Arabic speaker and somebody that's not mastered Arabic at any level whatsoever, even like the elementary school level, yeah. um, I take Shah Hamza's advice, which he, he said that there's two ways that you can really make this deen part of your life. One is... If you if you speak Arabic, it's the mm-hmm. Quran. Yes. Right. That will that will be the tie that you have to the deen. And if you're a non-Arabic speaker, which is the majority of the Ummah, it's through the love of the Prophet So after your Quranic studies and after you learn your fiqh and your aqidah, basic, just what you need to survive in life, focus on the Rasulullah. And most of the, my advice these days to uh, people who are just learning about Islam is, I want to read the Quran. I said, actually, read the biography of the Prophet. Read about the Prophet, peace be upon him, because the Quran is a book that has a lot of verses that have a lot of exceptions that have abrogation. Right? This is actually a, almost, in a sense, you could say it could cause a lot of confusion. Right? If if you're going that route, almost dangerous, right. just, especially in this context where verses are are there are sensitivities on certain issues. Whereas, Bagra the Prophet, that's something that everyone can relate to right away. Right? It's a biography. Mm-hmm. It's a human being. And think about this. The Iman of Sayyidina Abu Bakr. Immediately, right? he was a believer. And all of those immediate Sahabas, did they have Quran to recite? No. Mm-hmm. What did they have? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So they, he, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Khadija, who was the first believer. Sayyidina Ali, Rabbi Talib, second believer and the first youth. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, third believer, first adult, male. Okay, what did they all have in common? Not the Quran. There was no Quran revealed. Right. Is they knew who the man was. They knew who the man who had received the revelation is now and making the claim, they knew who he was. And that was sufficient for them. So that's really, I would go to that. And correct me if I'm wrong. And if you're going to go hadith, yeah. stay away from, don't stay away, but don't rely on Bukhari and Muslim if you're not, if you don't speak Arabic, if you don't read Arabic, if you don't understand it, if you don't know fiqh. Yeah. Stick to Imam Nawawi. Yeah, stick to Imam Nawawi. Riyadh Salihin, Ustan yeah. al-Arifin, yeah. and the 40 Hadith. The 40 Hadith. And uh, Hadith, I would say, take them from the Sira books. too, yeah. Because that's, you're not going to get Hadith of rulings, yes, pretty much. weak Hadith. <laughs> <laughs> Adab al-Mufrad. Yeah, Adab al-Mufrad. So you have, even Riyadh Salihin 
has hadith that require commentary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? They had hadith that you would take away an image of the Prophet that's very harsh and right. surprising. And and totally would, would really play with people's heads. For example, and this is why the ulama said that hadith madalla. Hadith is a place where people get lost. That's what it means. Not hadith dalala. Not hadith is misguidance. Hadith madalla. It's a place where you could get lost. So one of these hadith is uh, that the Prophet kept seeing youth and people raise their eyes up to the sky while they're praying. So just like the qibla of dua is up, so they assumed, well, always look up when you're praying. So the Prophet said, uh, when you pray, do not look up. right? Don't look up your heads in the sky. Then when they saw him doing that again, he said it in the khutbah. What, is, what about certain people who always look up when they're praying? right? They shouldn't do this. They still did it. So these are people who are not paying attention. There's something that, like they're hearing the words, but it's not registering. Right. And some mentalities are not mature, like children, right? When you deal with children, you go insane, right? You say the same thing, <laughs> right, a thousand times. And I'll tell you, in my house, I have a, I have uh, you, uh, you guys might not know this, but I have a gin in my house. A good one. This gin, um, an annoying one. <laughs> this gin leaves the lights on in the bathroom this gin doesn't cap the toothpaste this gin sometimes <laughs> doesn't doesn't, Baba, it's the gin. <laughs> doesn't flush the toilets right and all three of the possible right defendants are swearing to allah innocence all three of them allah is a gin Baba. <laughs> so what other what other conclusion do i have except we have, must have a gin in the you house, have to right? accept their testimony yeah what other what other conclusion is there? Must have a jinn in the house, right? So, but the Prophet ﷺ then said in this hadith, um, he said finally he put it down, right? And it's really think he's talking to the mentality of children. He said, everyone, be careful that if you look up in the sky while praying, you could lose your eyesight, right? <laughs> so <laughs> they so, stopped doing it. So, so uh, that got the job done. So the Prophet ﷺ, if you look at who he's talking to this is the third time that means clearly the mentality of some people is a low is is, is weak right yeah. like children so with children what do you have to do no it's a true statement huh it's, it is a true statement just for anybody who goes the prophet said that yeah. they said in a so. sense that if you keep looking at the you sky look at something could fall in your eye that's true or the yeah. sun could blind you yeah that's you true. could lose your eyesight <laughs> so he he saw i said him gave this visual and very much like a parent i remember one time uh, this was so bad, right? We were on a plane, and one of our kids was acting up. And then all of a sudden, Tammy looks to the kids. My wife looks to the kids and said, Wallahi al-Azim, I'm going to turn this plane right around. <laughs> the row is just start staring at us. <laughs> it's not good for a Muslim. Right? right? And uh, you, you hear parents say this all the time. We're going to turn this plane right around. Really? And the kids are like, oh. Right, he, what kind of mentality is the kid who doesn't realize that uh, you know you're not no one's you're not even driving the plane? Let it had to be serious though, because that was the, that was with an Egyptian accent. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, that's how hadiths have to be interpreted like that to people. Yeah, if right. you don't give that that sharh and the whole concept of it, then uh, then they might have a very harsh and a bizarre image of religion, like. Is this a belief? Like, is this seriously a belief? Because I saw a Sunday, there was a, a, a Sunday school teacher and one of the kids came, his brother came up to me and he said, uh, tell me something. My, the Sunday school teacher told my kid if he's praying and he'll look up, he'll go blind, right? Is this a hadith? So they're actually <laughs> taking it 
and they're not realizing in the Prophet who is he talking to and how does he talk? He talks with great, sometimes like um, hyperbole, right. right? Exaggeration. Why? Try to get your attention the first time. Right. Try to get your attention the second time. Third time, right? You know, I'm canceling the family vacation, right? It's like these, these, these big hyperbolic things that are never going to happen. Right. Reminds me of Sheikh Hamza talking about the feet to feet hadith. Yeah, which remind of what he said. Well, he said that, that was for that, children, by the way. Yeah, yeah. right. That Salasalam <laughs> said that to uh, kids so that they would kind of pay attention in, in, yeah. in Salat. And now we're all, you know, well, yeah, doing feet to feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that hadith of shoulder to shoulder is, is, was the norm of the row, but feet to feet. Especially when you for, pray according to the Sunnah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with your arms down. Correct. Uh, and the feet to feet was told to the children because they were moving around. Right. I have one uh, backtrack question. Yeah. Um, so for uh, people that are non-Muslims that are interested in, in Islam, um, would you still recommend them the Martin Ling's uh, series? No, or? too complicated. Okay. Too so complicated. What's, what's I would one? recommend maybe Karen Armstrong. She's not even a Muslim, but she wrote a good book. That's no, not bad. Yeah, she wrote a good book. Easy to read, right? E very easy to read and... Um, I mean, I've read some of it. My, uh, I know for people who've read it, who said oh, they you know, didn't find you know what else we left out? You should get Dr. Brown's book. Uh, for uh, for uh, the for brother what? that asked the question, Hadith? Mus Musquoting, Musquoting, oh, Muhammad. Yeah. Musquoting Muhammad, you go to the last few chapters and he covers all of the ones that, uh, the Hadith that yeah. people would be like raising their eyebrows. Right. Again, we could go on all night with yeah. book recommendations yeah. about the Prophet <laughs> Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. <laughs> because there, it, it, is, it is one of the key things that, that a Muslim should be learning. You yeah. should learn about Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in his life and what his contribution was and it'll engender real love in your heart for him and uh, one of the hallmarks of Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah is they're lovers of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to a degree that's different from any other group like literally like, it's, a, it's a daily thing right. uh, reading Shama'il is a daily thing reading Sirah or doing Jalal al-Khirat or Burda or Salah on the Prophet peace be upon him is a deal it's something in their lives at all times right like i remember going to a wedding in tarim right uh there was a wedding and i thought okay well what are we going to do in the wedding slow on the prophet right <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to read the buddha right mm -hmm. and they had to actually had their some dances actually some unique style of dance that the they men. had the men yeah. the men had this unique style of dance and this unique way of announcing the wedding by a really loud um chance right and weren't even words chants and dances that they would go around the city but if you think about it, it did have a function because it's a way to get attention mm -hmm. and because if this couple are seen like cross town right i mean how would we know so the weddings have to get attention in fez old city of fez i saw this too and i thought something was going on i ran outside to see is there an accident or i saw yelping right <laughs> and it was the women yelping Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I thought someone got hurt, something. We all went out, Westerners, and we were a couple of us who were still in the place. And we go out to look, and we had no clue what's going on. We just heard yelping, right? But it got the job done, because now we know that those people got married. Mashallah. That is the whole point of those laps that take around the city, is to announce, hey, everyone, this is not zina. This is a wedding. If you see these two people together... It's legitimate, right? And make du'a for them. and Make du'a for yeah. them. And they go, came out It's with a beautiful tradition. Yeah, it's Allah. a great tradition. It's a beautiful tradition to go around the city. Imagine we did this in North Brunswick. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, you should give your... Uh, a word of, you should tell your children to follow the advice of uh, Auntie Zainab. Which is? Tell the truth. Tell Allah the truth. is one. <laughs> tell the truth. <laughs> that Allah is one in the middle makes you go, I can't. I can't yeah, argue that's with it. it. <laughs> that's it. Um, all right, so uh, this brings us 
pretty much to the end of it. So, inshallah, we'll wrap it up. Uh, next we'll week, we're going to have uh, another official, more serious uh, episode. Pre, pre, uh, pre-programmed episode with the researchers and the and Moin to guide us. Alhamdulillah. So for now, this was just our best effort, and inshallah, may Allah accept it, and Amen. we might continue it. And um, Sheikh, I don't know if you don't mind. Next time we'll go. Uh, I'll go live on Twitter, and if people want to ask questions, they won't hear the response immediately. They're here when the podcast. Okay, that's out. a great idea. But, so uh, I'll announce it in the, in, the, in the next couple of weeks. Next time we do this, inshallah. Okay, good. Inshallah, jazakallah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr Illa al-lazina aman wa aminu al-salihat Wa tawasaw bil-haq Wa tawasaw bil-sabr Wassalamu alaykum Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Sallallahu ala sayyidina wa maulana muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Allahumma salli ala sayyidina muhammadin wa azwajihi wa zurriyyatih Kama sallayta ala sayyidina ibrahima wa barik ala sayyidina muhammadin wa azwajihi wa zurriyyatih كما باركت على آل سيدنا إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله كما صليت على سيدنا إبراهيم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على آل سيدنا إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد I'm not going to be